Well, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. Uh, We are picking up right where we left off, December 18th, as we concluded John chapter 9. And we're going to uh, be looking at John chapter 10. We began this study this exact same week, exactly 12 months ago, the same Sunday in January 2022. We started at John 1.1. And based on my calendar, we shall conclude, Lord willing, in December. But this morning, we're turning the page to chapter 10. And not only am I going to be preaching the next passage in our expositional series to the Gospel of John, but I have the distinct privilege of preaching my 16th vision message at Lookout Valley Baptist Church. I don't think I'm that old, but uh, 16, uh, here we go. So as Brother Joe just prayed, this is a vision that I believe the Lord's led me to, and then I've shared with our elders, and they have come alongside, and they have advised and said, this is good, this may need some tweaking. And so this is where we believe the Lord is taking Lookout Valley Baptist Church in 2023 and beyond. Now we'll get to that towards the end of the message, but this theme is informed by this passage we're going to read today and we're going to study today. I've been meditating on John 10 for uh, several weeks now, and it's not lost on me that here 2023, the 23rd year of the millennium, kind of corresponds with the 23rd Psalm in our Bibles, which is what? The Lord is my shepherd. So in 2023, the Lord is my shepherd. We're going to think about and we're going to consider and we're going to engage in what does it mean for Jesus Christ to be the shepherd of this flock? What does it mean for us to hear his voice, to be listening, and then to follow where the shepherd leads the flock? If you have your Bible open to John 10, no doubt there's a heading in front of John 10. That's not part of the original manuscripts, but it helps us understand what each chapter and section is about. The ESV, which I preach from, says this in the heading, I am the good shepherd. The New American Standard Bible says the parable of the good shepherd. The NIV says the good shepherd and his sheep. So we get included in there. And this, again, is informing our focus for this year and the years to come. How are we following? How are we listening? How are we obeying the voice of the shepherd? So having said all that, let's look at John 10. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. This is the inspired, inerrant word of God. Listen to it. Jesus speaking says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them, said, again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. It's interesting uh, to think about the different names we have for groups of animals. You've probably heard of several and you're familiar with them. For cows, they are a herd of cows. For um, birds, it's a school of, excuse me, that's not a school of birds, a school of fish, a flock of birds, flock of seagulls for you 80s music folks. Um, Also for, uh, let's see, what's another one? For wolves, they're called a pack. Well, here's some that maybe you're not familiar with. A group of geese is called a gaggle. A group of whales is a pod. A group of lions is a pride. We've probably heard those. I didn't know this. A group of porcupines is called a prickle, appropriate. A group of crows is called a murder, scary. A group of stingrays is called a fever. And a group of leopards is called a leap. A group of hyenas is called a cackle. A group of jellyfish, smack, that's happened to me. A group of giraffes is called a tower. And interestingly, a group of frogs is called an army, but a group of toads is called a knot. Now, my favorite two are the group of rhinoceroses is called a crash, and a group of hippopotamuses is called a bloat. But here in John 10, Jesus is talking about sheep. And in modern times, we refer to a group of sheep really with two different words, herd and flock. But in the Bible, groups of sheep are referred to exclusively as a flock of sheep. In fact, I did some research this week trying to look and see what other animals may the Bible refer to human beings or to followers of Christ or to children of God. What other animals does the Bible use for us metaphorically? What I discovered is the Bible does say that those who wait on the Lord will be like wings with eagles. And Jesus said to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. But those are similes, like and as. I discovered, unless I'm wrong, There's only one animal that is metaphorically used to describe believers or followers of God, sheep. Now, some dumb people are called donkeys in the Bible, but that's not followers of Christ, right? We're called sheep. In fact, the Bible refers to this local body, Lookout Valley Baptist Church. You are a flock of God. You're the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's somewhat hard for us to understand all that Jesus means in this metaphor of believers being sheep and we being the flock of God, because I would guess most of us, like myself, we've not spent a lot of time with sheep. Now, I've spent untold hours with pigs, hundreds of thousands of pigs as a former pig farmer, but I've only been with sheep in the petting zoo. Any of you shepherds here today? I don't see any. So it's somewhat foreign to us, the nature of sheep and functioning with sheep, and particularly shepherds and sheep in the first century Mediterranean world where Jesus is speaking into. However, the people that were hearing him his day would have been altogether familiar with this metaphor, and they would have understood that there is a special bond that is developed between a shepherd and his sheep. And that's why the imagery is used so often in the Bible Um, Over 200 times, sheep are referenced and flocks are referenced in the Bible. That's why Jesus uses it here to depict his relationship with we who are his followers, because it's a relationship of trust. It's a relationship of dependence. He comes to protect us, to feed us, and to lead us. Now, as we've gone through John's gospel together over the last 12 months, I've pointed out particularly how John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, arranges this gospel account around seven signs or miracles and then seven 
I am statements. And so we've seen some of the signs and miracles already, and we've seen uh, two of the I am statements Jesus has made already. These miracles and these I am statements happen at critical times in the narrative. We've already considered how Jesus said, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. And then in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. When he said, I'm the bread of life, life, it was in connection to the miracle barley loaves that he multiplied for the feeding of 5,000 and children and women. And so he was communicating to them, you want miracle bread? You want manna from heaven to feed you in your hunger? I am the bread of life. And then when he said, I am the light of the world, it was during that Feast of Tabernacles when they would light those massive high lanterns for all of uh, Jerusalem to see the temple complex. And during the lighting ceremony, the illumination ceremony at the temple, he said, I am the light of the world. You want light in your darkness? You want a pillar of fire to lead you through the darkness of this world? I'm the light of the world. And now here we're going to see where Jesus says the third I am statement in the passage we just read, I am the door of the sheep. And the next week we'll see connected to this, I am the good shepherd. Now these two I am statements come right on the heels of John chapter 9. Do you remember what John chapter 9 was about? In John chapter 9, Jesus very purposefully and intentionally goes to a blind beggar outside the temple gates, one who is born blind, he has congenital blindness, and he heals him on the Sabbath day, mind you. And what we see happen then is the amazing grace upon grace upon grace of God come into this man's life where not only does he receive physical sight, but he receives supernatural, spiritual sight to identify exactly who Jesus is. He begins to be interrogated and questioned by his neighbors, by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders. And they ask him, who is this guy that healed you? And you can see the progression of grace upon grace in his life. First he says, well, the man called Jesus. Then before the Pharisees, he says, well, I think he's a prophet. And then he says later to the Pharisees, well, he was obviously sent from God. And then finally, the chapter concludes with this congenitally born blind man bowing down prostrate before Jesus and calling him Lord, grace upon grace. Have you experienced that grace in your life? Grace upon grace. Of course, the religious leaders wanted to use him to entrap and ensnare Jesus for doing this miracle on the Sabbath day. Because of his testimony, and what did Jesus do? He pronounced judgment on the religious leaders. He said, you all are the ones who are blind, and you remain under the guilt of judgment. In other words, those who were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, they're blind. Those who were supposed to be the one who cared for and led and spiritually protected the people of Israel, Jesus says, you're guilty. You're condemned. And then here in chapter 10, as we come into this next narrative, Jesus says, I'm the better shepherd. I'm the true shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And in chapter 10, uh, we'll be in it for a few weeks, Jesus uses two metaphors They're different, but they're related. They have to do with sheep, but he uses two different metaphors in the passage we're looking at today, two figures of speech, which are introduced with that familiar phrase, truly, truly. In Greek, amen, 
amen. Two metaphors Jesus uses to describe for us his ministry to us as his people. Let's consider them together. The first metaphor is this. Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. Again, Jesus compared himself to the shepherd of sheep, which would have been very familiar imagery to those people in the Old Testament and in the ancient world. But I think sometimes when we think of a shepherd and his sheep, we kind of have in our mind this cartoonish, idyllic vision of what a shepherd looks like. We kind of have in our ideas of, okay, here's this shepherd, and he's got his nice, white, cuddly sheep who are following him around, and it's this vast pasture with a gentle brook flowing through the middle of it. And so that's kind of the idea we have of a shepherd and sheep. But that's not the picture Jesus presents here in John chapter 10. It's actually, this imagery is really nothing like this. Look at verse 3 again. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So the picture Jesus is presenting here, the metaphor, is that there is a sheep pen. And this pen is filled with sheep, and it has a gate, and there's a gatekeeper who uh, guards that gate. Now, archaeologists have discovered actual uh, sheep pens in ancient Israel, in Jerusalem and other uh, areas of Israel, that were capable of holding upwards of 100 sheep. These are built with stone walls, not wooden fences, and they have briars lining the tops to protect them, and there's one entrance. There's one gate that is guarded by a gatekeeper. And this sheep pen would have been utilized by several neighbors together. You would have maybe 100 to 150 sheep in this pen, but those sheep belong to four or five or six or seven different families and six or seven different shepherds. So the shepherd would bring his sheep in from pasturing during the day, put them into the community sheep pen. The gatekeeper was there, usually over the watches of the night, to protect and keep a guard on those sheep. And then the next morning, the shepherd would come, and he would get his sheep out of that sheep pen, and he would call for them. Now, it's not a hard stretch for us to understand. As Jesus says, those who climb over the walls are not true shepherds. They're thieves and robbers, right? Maybe you've had the occasion, like I have, to lock yourself out of your house. Anybody ever done that besides me? (laughs) And so what I do when that happens is, first, I say, how far are you away from the house, Amy? You need to come and let me in. Or secondly, I start going around the house looking for what? a window that might be unlatched. And if I happen to find one, I'll grab something that I can stand on, I'll push the window open, I'll shimmy myself through the window and so that I can crawl inside. Now, if somebody happens to be driving by when that happens, that doesn't look like the owner of the house whenever they're crawling through a window. The owner of the house goes through the front door. And Jesus says, the one who jumps over the fence is not a shepherd. He's a thief and a robber. By implication, Jesus is saying, my opponents, those who just cast this formerly blind beggar, not only out of their presence, but they cast him out of the fellowship and participation in the synagogue, which means he was cast out of the Jewish life economically, relationally, religiously. He said, they're false shepherds. They're thieves and robbers. In fact, Jesus, I think, likely had multiple Old Testament passages in mind that were informing his parable and figure of speech he was using here in John chapter 10. We'll consider a couple more over the next couple of weeks as we go through John 10, but notice one in particular, Jeremiah 23. In Jeremiah 23, 
The prophet says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the greatest blessings for the people of God was to have faithful leaders, good shepherd who cared for them and watched over them. Shepherds who thought of the welfare of the flock above their own welfare. Shepherds who were gracious and compassionate. And by contrast, one of the worst things that could happen for the people of God is to have false shepherds, kings and prophets and priests and scribes who were unfaithful. They only cared about their own welfare. They only, only cared about patting their own pocket. They only cared about their own reputation. They ate and gorged themselves off the meat of the flock. They fleeced the flock. And Jesus is comparing these Jewish leaders of his day as strangers, thieves, and robbers who are leading the people astray. Does this happen today? The false shepherds come in and leave, if it were possible, even the elect astray. Unfortunately, it does. False teachers abound. Now, when they come in, they don't announce, hey, y'all, I'm a false teacher. (laughs) Buy my books. Come to my conference. Download my podcast. No, they come in just as these men came in, very impressive, with all the right credentials, and none of that matters, listen, unless they point you to Jesus. Sometimes we think, we can be very discerning. I mean, I'm very discerning. I'm very doctrinally astute. Listen, false shepherds, false teachers are not just those who doctrinally lead you astray from following Jesus, but I would say anything that leads you astray from following Jesus. So even if you fancy yourself as being very discerning, let me ask you a question. Is there anything turning your attention or your affection away from following after Christ? Is there anything that's drawing away your heart, your love towards the shepherd? Perhaps it's good things even. Your occupation, your business. It can easily be put in a place of primacy or fun things like sports, entertainment, take over and they dictate what we do and when we do it. Or perhaps even the prosperity that we enjoy in this part of the world, which so many of us are foreign of the fact that we are immensely wealthy. And that wealth, that prosperity that we enjoy, even in a down economy, it can take all of our attention and our affection away from Christ. But Jesus is the true shepherd of our souls. As we think about him being the shepherd of our souls, there's two profound aspects that Jesus points out here. First of all, the shepherd calls by name. 
Look at verse 3 again. The gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. I want you to underline that phrase. He calls his own sheep by name. This is profound. He doesn't call all the sheep. He calls his own sheep. And friend, he calls them by name. This again is the community sheep pen, perhaps two or three or four different flocks owned by the neighbors that are kept in this pen. And the shepherd comes in in the morning and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Papa Joe, come on, time to go. Blackie, get over here. Short tail, what are you doing? Come on, it's time to go. Come on, Stripe, Jumpy, time to go out to the pasture. The shepherd knows each of his sheep personally, and he calls them out by name. The amazing lesson for us is this. Listen, Jesus, the good shepherd, deals with us personally and individually. Is that fantastic? He knows you by name and deals with you personally. The 23rd Psalm, it begins not, the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He calls me by name. And I wonder, has he called you by name? Have you heard his voice to come follow? Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. And he says, that one, he's mine. You're mine. But here's the second thing I want you to notice about this relationship between shepherd and sheep. Secondly, the sheep come to the shepherd. (laughs) When he calls them, they actually come. Look at verse 4 again. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. When the shepherd calls, the sheep recognize him because they know his voice. They've heard it before. We have a family dog named Murphy, a golden retriever. And every time I come home and I come in through our basement and I start to come up the stairs, I can hear him hear me. And he goes nuts. (laughs) Dad's home, dad's home. And he runs to the top of the, st- of the basement stairs, and he's just watching. Here you come. You come in. And sometimes I can't even get through the door because he's like, ah, I'm so happy you're here, Dad. He knows my voice. He can be in another room, and I can say, Murphy, you want to go outside? Boom, he's up and at the door, ready to go. I can say, Murphy, you want to go for a ride in the truck? He follows me, follows me outside, and he jumps on the door. Let's go, Dad. I'm ready to go. In fact, Murphy knows my voice so well, I sit down at the piano to sing. What does Murphy think? It's time for a duet. It's duet time. Murphy says, I know that voice. We're singing together. So our dogs understand us. They know our voice. Listen, the sheep of the shepherd know his voice. When he calls out to them, they jump up and they come to the shepherd. Jesus often said, he who has ears to hear let him hear. Are your ears attuned to the voice of your shepherd? Sometimes we have so much noise and static 
that is coming into our ears that Jesus could call us at the top of his lungs and we've got so much other noise we wouldn't even hear it. Are you listening for the voice of the shepherd? Are you following and coming to the shepherd? Again, I wonder, have you heard him calling? And have you answered that call by following him and obeying him? But friends, not only is Jesus the shepherd of our souls, the second thing from this passage I want us to see is that Jesus is the Savior of our souls. Jesus is the Savior of our souls. This is a second metaphor. Again, it is related to the other because it has to do with sheep, but it's a completely different metaphor. The second, truly, truly, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Again, this is the third I am statement in the Gospel of John. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Here's the third one. I am the door of the sheep. I want you to look back at that picture of the sheep pen I showed you before. In this sheep pen, we have all these sheep gathered together. And you see, there's an opening there that you enter in. And Jesus says, I am that door. I'm that doorway. I am that gate. I am that entryway into the flock, into the fold. Now, there's a couple of realities about this profound pronouncement, this I am statement of Jesus. It's important for us to understand. The first one is this. Number one, Jesus is the exclusive door. There's not another door. He says, I am, definite article, the door. Not one door, not a door among many, not a plausible door or a possible door. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, this claim of exclusivity on the part of Jesus, it was scandalous then, and friends, it's scandalous now. It's scandalous to say that there's only one way to God. It's scandalous to say there's only one exclusive way to salvation, especially as Americans, because as Americans, we like options. We like options. We like options on the ballot box. We like options uh, in our television viewing. And we like options at the grocery store. Have you noticed the amazing number of options for different items at the grocery store? Look at the bread aisle. Do we really need all those options of bread? The coffee aisle. The soda aisle. Sorry, Coca-Cola employees. We don't need all those. (laughs) But perhaps most absurdly, the potato chip aisle. There are over a hundred different options for potato chips. And so we think, well, surely there's lots of options for salvation. When you go to the Savior aisle, there's only one Savior on the shelf. His name is Jesus. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. He is the only door. He is the only Savior. Why? Because He is the only begotten Son of God. He is the only one who came and took on human flesh. And He's the only one who was tempted in every way as you're tempted, but He never sinned. And He's the only one who had the capacity and the credentials to die sacrificially, vicariously, taking the punishment for your sin. And friend, He's the only one who was resurrected from three days of death. He's the only Savior. And Jesus says, I am the door. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus put it like this in Matthew 7. He says, enter 
by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus is the exclusive door, and those who don't lead you to and through that door are thieves and robbers. That's what Jesus called them. What's interesting is we don't even call thieves and robbers thieves and robbers today in our society. We call them, oh, they have a possession problem. They are challenged and have a learning edge determining what belongs to them. They're thieves and robbers, right? Jesus says these false shepherds, they're thieves and robbers. And it just so happened the ones he was calling thieves and robbers were the most upstanding, law-abiding, ritual-keeping rulers of the day. Very, very religious. Friends, the same is true today. What is Lookout Valley Baptist Church? Are we a social welfare place, ultimately? Are we a political action committee? No. We are a gospel-preaching, disciple-making church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our desire and our mission is to lead people to and through the exclusive door of Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of our souls because he is the exclusive door of salvation. But secondly, notice this. He is the abundant door. He's the abundant door. Jesus is going to say, not only is he the prophetic fulfillment of the true shepherd who was to come to replace all these false shepherds, but amazingly, Jesus is saying, I have the best interests of the sheep at heart. You may have friends or family members that kind of bristle at the idea of Jesus being the only way and not just one of many ways, but you can just respond to them. They may or may not receive it. You can just say, but here's the thing. Jesus isn't the only way. He's the best way because he's the only one who promises abundant life, fulfilled life, eternal life. There are many so-called saviors, but he's the only one that comes to give real life. Again, verse 10, very familiar. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here's the deal, yes. Christianity is a narrow door. And we've got some high fences. And we can sometimes think, oh, you know, the narrowness of Christianity, of the gospel, the the high fences of obedience that we're called to follow and obey, that just kind of hems me in, and I don't really like it. But God did not make a narrow gate and high fences to steal our joy, but rather to liberate us to have abundant joy. You know, the devil's lie has been from the beginning, and it worked flawlessly on Adam and Eve, is God is keeping things from you. God's holding out on you. If only you had this, the things that God says you shouldn't have, your life would be better. It worked flawlessly on Adam and Eve, and it's been working flawlessly for all of human history. It works flawlessly on us. Jesus says the promise of his shepherd love is, I've come now that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is the shepherd, and Jesus is the Savior of our souls. And therefore, Jesus leads us. That's our theme for 2023, is that Jesus 
leads us. On the back side of your outline, if you grabbed one of those on the way in, I've got a couple of action steps I want to delineate for you. There's three in particular. And I want us to think through, and I've been thinking and praying through, and our elders have been praying and thinking through what this looks like for Jesus to lead us, for him to be the shepherd, we're the sheep, he's the one who leads, we're the flock. What would that look like for us to follow him? So I've got three action steps, and by God's grace, we will grow in these areas of being good, faithful sheep. The first one is this, that we would learn to perceive the voice of the shepherd. Again, Jesus said in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice. The I, I am statement we'll consider next week, come back, is I am the good shepherd, and he says in the very next breath, and my own know me, Verse 27, later in the chapter, which we'll consider, Lord willing, in a couple weeks, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So, friend, an indispensable quality of being one of the Lord's sheep is being able to perceive and discern and hear the voice of the shepherd. Vital to being a follower of Christ. Vital to being a sheep. I mentioned earlier that we've got all kinds of things in our lives that bring in noise and static that floods out our capacity to hear and perceive and discern the voice of the shepherd. So here's really this first action step, what we'll be calling our church to do, and that is 40 days of prayer and fasting before Easter. 40 days of prayer and fasting, Thursday, February 23rd through Friday, April 7th. You may have never done a fast before, especially one that's 40 days long, but this is altogether biblical and right and good. Some of you may think, there's no way I can go on an all-liquid diet for 40 days. (laughs) There's no way I could fast for 40 days. And I would say two things to that. Number one, you don't know what you can do in the power of the Spirit. Number two, there are other things to fast. I want you to pray, and I want you to ask the Lord, what is it that you want me to fast? He may not tell you to fast solid food. He may be telling you, why don't you fast social media for 40 days? He may be telling you, you know, you could fast one meal a day, or here's an option. Why don't you fast social media for 40 days? Or you could fast sports and watching sports, or maybe, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, maybe you could fast social media (laughs) for 40 days. You could fast um, sugar or sodas. Again, I'm just spitballing. Maybe fast social media for 40 days. (laughs) And then together, this fast will end collectively where we're getting rid of some things so that we can attune ourselves to hear the voice of our shepherd, that Friday is Good Friday before Easter. And we will break our fast together with a Good Friday communion service. And Lord willing, we will all be hearing the voice of the shepherd a little bit better. So that's the first action step to together seek to remove some of the static and noise so that we can intentionally perceive the voice of the shepherd. Here's the second action step, that we would pursue the leading of the shepherd. That we would pursue the leading of the shepherd. We are his flock. 
We are the people of his pasture. And one of the things we do as sheep is we don't lead the shepherd. We follow the shepherd. We follow wherever he's going, and we follow in his footsteps. The sheep follow the shepherd. Let me ask you some yes or no questions. These are very simple. Is Jesus the, sh- the chief shepherd of this flock? Is Jesus the chief shepherd of this flock? Yes. yes. Do you believe he has a direction for this flock to go? Yes. Here's a little bit more difficult, a little longer. Do you believe that the cross-section of people, time, location, society that we happen to be in right now in the providence of God, do you think the shepherd has a specific direction for us for this specific moment in time and place? Yes, yes he does. Do I know what it, what it is? I do not. <laughs> do our elders know what it is? We got some ideas. But we're trusting the voice of the shepherd to lead us. And then we've got to make a decision. We will follow. Now, I do believe, and our elders believe, that there are some unique phenomenon happening in our world and specifically happening in our region of the world that inform us where the shepherd may be leading us in these days to come. I want you to consider some of these things. You may not be aware of this, but did you know that Chattanooga is the fastest growing city in the state of Tennessee? Look at the rates of growth among the top five fastest growing cities in the state. Chattanooga being the fastest, you have Johnson City, Knoxville, Nashville, Brentwood, What this stat means is for every 100 people moving out of the city, there are 306 people moving in. We are growing at a rate almost twice as fast as Brentwood, Nashville, and Knoxville. Incredible growth. And you can say, yes, I drive in this city. I recognize Chattanooga is exploding with growth. Just a little insight. I read the other day that the DOT is planning to put a westbound and eastbound lane on 24 from Browns Ferry Road to 27. Isn't that great? Not till 2025, but two years, we'll get some relief, Lord willing. So it's growing, and we can't control it. We can't stop it. We happen to live in one of the most beautiful places in the world with the fastest internet in the country, so people are flocking here. No pun intended with the sheep metaphor. So this should inform us. In fact, right here where we are, look at this next slide. This is where we are in our neck of the woods. That tip of that arrow is Lookout Valley Baptist Church. And this is a map, an aerial view of our region. This explosive growth is happening right around us. And we can be like, I don't like all these people coming into my town. You can't stop them. (laughs) They're coming. Look at some of these developments that are coming. You're probably familiar with this. Back in October, there was a ribbon cutting for the new uh, edition of Black Creek literally in our backyard, a $16 million road system was put in, 1,200 new homes are slated to be built there over the next 10 years. That's just right there. Here's another development you may not be familiar with. This was ribbon cutting back in April of last year. Uh, The same developer who created Jasper Highlands over in Marion County is, uh, that's how they say county in Marion, Marion County. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, He has purchased 7,500 acres. There, the entrance is in Guild, Tennessee. It's the very next exit from our exit. There are 400 homes already platted and approved by the Planning Commission in Marion County, and there's a total of 2,500 homes to be built in that 7,500-acre development. We are 14 minutes. Our front door is 14 minutes from that place. We're the closest exit to Chattanooga from that development. 
And many have probably seen some of the news around this other development, South Broad, there at the old Wheeland factory, a 400-acre development, including the new baseball stadium, office space, and 400 new apartments. I don't know if you're keeping count, but I just named off over 4,000 new homes in our back door. If just 2.5% of those 4,000 homes land at Lookout Valley Baptist Church, that's 100 families. That doubles, more than doubles, the size of our congregation. So with this in mind, I was kind of researching some of these things over the last couple of months. I came to our elders and I asked them this question. They're coming. Will we be ready? In fact, look at this next slide. We are Lookout Valley Baptist Church, we are located in the epicenter of this explosion of growth. Again, they're coming. Will we be ready? Now, the only way we will be ready is if we follow the leadership, not of your pastor, not of your elders, but if we follow the leadership of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is, whether you like the growth or not, God is bringing the mission field to us. We have a responsibility. We have a gospel call. We have a divine commission to take the gospel to them. So as our elders discuss this reality, we begin thinking, how are we going to prepare? How are we going to seek to get some insight, some wisdom, some ways to know where the shepherd would be leading us in the days, not just a year, uh, Nick put it well as we talked. He said, you know, every year we have a new year vision. Where are we going to go the next 12 months? But we've not really talked about the next five or 10 years. So we need to make some strategic planning for the next decade. Who are we going to be? How are we going to be positioned to reach the people that God is bringing here? And so we dialogued and we determined, you know what? We need to put together a long-range planning team that helps us think through these ideas, long-range planning team to help us pursue the leading of the shepherd with all that's happening in the days to come. Now, as we thought about this, there's really three main objectives this long-range planning team is uh, tasked with doing. One, they are to help us clarify our church vision. Just know we're not going to change who we are. We are a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching, disciple-making church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing the Bible and sing the gospel. We pray the Bible. We pray the gospel. We preach the Bible. We preach the gospel. That ain't changing. But we, it's important to clarify exactly who we are and what we do and why we do it because that informs everything else. And also that vision helps us to identify and to measure those things we are seeking to do. Are we fulfilling what we believe God's called us to do? So this long-range planning team will help us to clarify our church vision. Secondly, this long-range planning team will help to identify some of our strengths, what we do well, some of our weaknesses, where we lack, opportunities that are before us, 4,000 new homes coming in, threats that are posed to us, right? And so let's be honest. What are some things that are here? By the way, this team already met this past Thursday evening. And we're already beginning this process. And thirdly and finally, uh, the long-range team will help to develop long-term goals in order to fulfill the vision we believe God's called us to do. So here's what our elders did last month in December. We took out our membership roster, and we went, starting in A, we went name by name. And we started looking for people who could serve on a long-range planning team. And we were looking for really three qualities. Number one, these people love Jesus. Number two, these people love 
Look out Valley Baptist Church. This is their home they're committed to. And number three, these people have a unique giftedness and capacity to implement strategies, to think through how to solve complex problems. And so when we went through the roster, we ended up with about 20 names. This is an incredibly gifted church, by the way. And then as we looked at that list, we said, too many. We went down and we whittled it down, and we have eight names. Three of our elders serve on this long-range planning team. And I'm going to introduce to you for the first time what we believe, who we believe God will use to greatly help us identify where the shepherd is leading us. Here's our long-range planning team. Um, get emotional looking at these guys because the Lord's going to use them powerfully. Uh, Elizabeth Bowden, Nick Burroughs, Wade Casey, Jim Creaseman, Russ Patterson, Melissa Pell, Beth Reed, and myself. That you have there on that screen some people who have been here literally their whole life. You have some who have been here just a couple of years. You have on that screen parents of preschoolers, parents of elementary kids, parents of middle schoolers, parents of high schoolers, parents of college kids. You have a couple of engineers, a couple of former missionaries, several who have served on staff at mega churches. You have a hog farmer. Come on. <laughs> you have a couple of realtors. You have somebody that's in the HSA world that knows how systems and processes work and function. Critical thinkers love Jesus, business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs. These are gifted, and they love Jesus, and they love this church. And so we've already met, and I can't tell you how excited I am, how the Lord's going to use this team to help us to clarify who he's called us to be and where he's calling us to go. So our action steps from the shepherd that I believe, our elders believe for this year, number one, we should perceive the voice of the shepherd. Let's go through 40 days of fasting to hear the voice of the Lord. Number two, pursue the leading of the shepherd intently, but thirdly, follow the pattern, the model of the shepherd. We are called to pattern the model of the shepherd. Jesus, as our leader, as the chief shepherd, has modeled for us how we are to lead. And this involves primarily our elders, our pastors, but anyone who has a leadership position in our church, whether that's a small group leader or a teacher or a preschool helper or a deacon. Leaders are to pattern their leadership after the model of the true shepherd. And so, our elders, we thought about this reality. And we looked in the mirror. I looked in the mirror. And I found a lot of flaws in the way I've shepherded you. I saw a lot of mistakes over the last 16 years. I'm thankful the Lord doesn't just knock you down, but he picks you up. I have not done the best job in caring for the needs of this flock. Our elders recognized we have not done the best job in shepherding like Jesus would shepherd. I'm here to tell you, myself, our elders are making a commitment to you to shepherd and lead after the pattern of Jesus. Like notice how Peter put it to the elders of the church he was writing to. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker 
of the glory that is going to be revealed. He says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So our under-shepherds, our pastors, our elders of this church are making a commitment to you today to pattern our leadership after the model of Jesus. The shepherd, like he would shepherd. We've established a new practice that we're going to begin this month. We have, we're going to have two elders meeting every month, first and third Tuesday of every month, if you want to know when that is. And we've determined from now on, rather than beginning our elders meetings talking about business or ministry or positions or staff or budget, we're going to begin our elders meeting praying for you. We're going to take the roster of that church that I've already mentioned. We're going to go name by name. What's going on with so-and-so. I haven't seen them lately. Where are they? Who's going to reach out to them? Who's going to minister to them? Let's go to the next name. Name by name, talk through about you, seek to minister to your needs, and friend, we're going to pray for you by name. This is the commitment we've made to seek to pattern our leadership after the model of Jesus. In that conversation we had the other day, in a moment of gut-level honesty, I said to them, it's presumptuous of us to think that the chief shepherd would entrust us with more sheep in this flock if we're not properly caring for the sheep he's already entrusted to us. Isn't that true? There are going to be 4,000 new homes put in this region. We may not see any of them if the Lord says, you're not caring for the sheep you got. I'm not going to send any more sheep that way. So this is an important principle that not just our elders, but all of us would seek to meet the needs of those around us, those that God's entrusted us to care for and to love and to assist. And by God's grace, after we lead with the pattern of Jesus, we will grow in that, our elders will grow in that, and every area of leadership will grow. So we perceive the voice of the shepherd, we pursue the leading of the shepherd, we pattern our leadership after the model of the shepherd. I believe God's got great things in store for us this year, this coming decade. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. You ready to hear him and follow him? Here's my last thought. Jesus is leading his flock. Our response is to humbly follow him.